What happens when a religious belief inspires a wave of grisly murders? And then we travel to France to spend the night in a quaint little hotel. But it turns out that this hotel may finally teach us why we would never notice a time traveler walking among us today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day too. I hope you guys have some fun plans for the weekend. We got a lot of stuff to cover here. So first off, let's go ahead and give a shout out to one of our Thanksgiving live stream contributors. Everyone on your feet, give it up for Church Going Mule. Woo, yeah, everyone. Take a ride, take a ride on Church Going Mule. Hop on his back and kick his ribs. We're going for a journey. Church Going Mule, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. You guys can't support the show financially. I totally understand. Just help spread the word about the show. That really 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 helps out a lot now let's go ahead i want to start off with the time slip story i know i announced that as the main story and that's going to be the title of the episode because i want to give you guys a warning the story about the crime wave the the grizzly the grizzly murders it's really grizzly so I'm actually going to save that to the second story. So if you don't want to have this story depress you for the weekend, just listen to the time slip story. Say la vie. I'll see you guys on Monday. I totally understand. But for you perverts, for you totally disgusting people out there, the the grizzly murder story I've been thinking about for weeks, it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. I can't wait to share it with you. But I know it's not everyone's cup of tea. So we'll save that story for the second story. So, church going mule, let's go ahead and hop aboard the carpenter caboose. Grab a shovel of coal and start scooping it in. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We're headed all the way out, too. France. Going all the way in that underwater tunnel that apparently connects America to France. I want to start off by giving a shout out to a website called UFO Insight. It's a really, really good high strangeness website. And this article, like many articles written on the website, is by Marcus Loth. I got most of my information from that website. Check it out. We're going back to the year 1979, specifically October 3rd, 1979. And there's two married couples from England. They're on their way to Spain. So as they're driving through France, they see a little hotel. And they're like, oh, that place looks like a good place to stay. I mean, technically, it's a professional place to stay. That's what they were built for. So they pull up to the hotel and they walk in. Ding, ding. And then a bellhop walks out and he's like, Mademoiselle, yes, you are here. <laughs> Why is an Italian French accent? Mamma mia, you are here to stay the night, I see ya. And they're like, yes, bellhop. And then the bellhop goes, sorry, we're flight. <laughs> he teases people all the time. He's like super courteous and carries your bags upstairs and goes, nope, sorry, no rooms, and makes them carry him back downstairs. He goes, we don't have a room available. There's no rooms here. And so they're like, oh, man. But then as they're picking their bags up and they're headed back out to their car, there's a gentleman in old-fashioned clothes standing there. And he goes, you know what? For If you're looking for a room, if you're looking for a hotel, Go down the street. You'll you'll find a small hotel down the road. 
And so they get back in their car. And they're like, man, that was a weird place. Everyone had like eight different accents at once. They're driving down the road and they follow his directions. And they notice that the road starts to get really narrow. Now they're driving between these buildings and they're like, okay, can we do this? It's like a Fast and Furious movie. All of a sudden, they're like driving on the walls. Ah. They're driving through this narrow road and then all of a sudden... That's the... If you didn't understand what that sound was, if you didn't know what that sound was, that's a car driving over a cobblestone road. All of a sudden, the road became those little rocks. Those little rocks they put in the mud. So they're continuing. They're like, oh, dude, we need to get new shocks for this car. They're driving down the cobblestone road and they see on the side of one of the buildings a poster for a circus. But they notice the poster, the circus poster looks really old. Not just like it's all like like wrinkly and stuff like that. Like it's it was an old fashioned looking poster. They keep on driving and eventually they see a sign that says hotel. Perfect. That's exactly what we we're looking for. And they all get out of the car and they go walking in. And right when they walk into this hotel, it was old-fashioned. That was the way they described it. You walked in, it looked like a old hotel. It had no amenities of the modern age. They walk in, they didn't see any signs of modern devices. There are no telephones, like the bellhops, like Mademoiselle, have you seen my cousin? Have you seen my cousin? He works down the street. They see like the bellhop standing there, and there's no telephone. There's no elevators either. It's all staircases, and they check in, they get up to their room and they're like, this place is so quaint. This is like actually like an old timey authentic hotel. It's actually so authentic. There's, there's no locks on the doors. They're like, what? Where, where, where in the world would you possibly want to sleep next to a bunch of strangers and not be able to lock, if not barricade your door? No locks on the doors. And then one of the women goes, oh, if you think that's insane, look. And she throws open these wooden shutters. There's no glass in this window. It's just wooden shutters. And I'm like, this is kind of weird. But maybe it is like this new thing. Like, they're trying to be super rustic. You know, get away from the modern age. It's like super hippie and stuff like that. Like, ah, maybe. No locks on the doors. No telephones. No elevators. No glass. So they start taking pictures of this incredibly quirky hotel. The next morning, they wake up, they go downstairs, and they get breakfast. They have, like, this really nice dining room. Nom, nom, nom. They're eating ham and eggs. It doesn't actually say what they ate, and I'm just listing stuff that I want to eat. Mmm, sausage with four pancakes covered in syrup. Oh. They're eating They're eating my dream meal. And while they're eating, they see two men walk in, and they're wearing these dark blue uniforms with these little capes. And one of them goes, you know what? They're dressed like old-fashioned French police officers. Gendarmes is what they were called. These gendarmes are walking around. And, you know, they recognize them as old-fashioned police dudes, but they don't really think anything of it, right? Again, maybe it's part of, if you're going to be a police officer in the hotel, you have to change into this old-timey outfit, not to ruin the illusion. They just continue to go about their business. And then at one point, they get done eating breakfast. It's time to go. And they ask someone, hey, how do we get to the auto route? I guess that's how they call roads over there. How do we get to the auto route? We're trying to head down to Spain. People are like, 
what? What's an auto route? And they're like, you know, it's the thing that you put your car on, you go down the road, and they're like, what? What are you talking about? At this point, at this point you figure they're probably taking the rustic thing a little too far. You're like, okay, buddy, we get it. You're from the past, but can you just give us directions? And they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. So they're like, fine. They go to checkout, and after having paying for two rooms... And they had dinner that night plus breakfast this morning. The bill is only 19 francs. Which they're like, what? That's that's like the best deal ever. Are you kidding me? Like, that's no, that's like no money. That's basically free. And the bellhop guy's like, well, that is what we charge here. It's 19 francs for all that food you ate and the, the room. So they're like, this is dope. So they paid him. And then they end up getting to Spain. They stay there for a couple weeks. They leave the area, they find the auto route, they drive to Spain, they're there for two weeks, they have a ball. Again, it doesn't, it doesn't have that detail, it doesn't say how much fun they had, but we'll assume it was a fun vacation. And as they're headed home, they go, you know what? We should stay at that quaint little French hotel that we stayed at. First off, first off, we don't think they know how to add money because it costs nothing, but also it was just so nice. It was so nice. And then one of them goes, yes, you mean that hotel that we took a bunch of pictures of? While they were there, they took a ton of photos of this really quirky, cool hotel. So they actually drive back to France and they can't find it. They drive around the area that they were in. They can't find the hotel. They're continuing to drive down these roads and they see the circus poster. They're like, oh, so we know we're in the right direction. So they kept driving on the road, but they didn't end up back there. They're like, what? And they go, not only did we not end up back there, I remember the first time we saw the circus posters, the road was cobblestone, right? And they're like, yeah, but this is a regular road. This is a well-maintained road that we're driving down. And then they find the hotel that they tried to go to first. That's where the dude said, I know this place is full, but there's another place down the road. They find that hotel and they go, hey, can you direct us to the hotel down the street? And they're like, what are you talking about? I mean, sure, there's other there's other hotels in France, but do you have one in particular? And they're like, well, it was this old timey one down the cobble street road. People are like, we don't know what you're talking about. Well, there was an old fashioned dude. There was a guy dressed up in a nice suit who was here last time. Can he tell us where it's at? And they're describing this guy, and people are like, we have no idea who you're talking about. I mean, <laughs> technically, it's a hotel, right? They don't keep a, a photograph and a description of everyone who's ever been there. But they go, it's not anyone who works here. We don't know who told you to go down there. But it wasn't us. They were never able to find the hotel again. They weren't even able. I think you guys can see now this is a time slip story. They weren't even able to like go down a road and find an old, like they find a version of it. It's all rusted, and there's like a big old rat laying in it with, with a bellhop hat. Nothing. Right? They couldn't find like that it was burnt down or anything like that. They can't find the hotels or the remnants of hotel or the remnants of the hotel or the fact that the hotel ever existed. When they get home, they have their film developed. And they're not really thinking at this point there's anything paranormal that went on. They just figured everyone in France doesn't know where other stuff is. They get their film photographs developed from their entire vacation and they're going through them and they go oh look here's the photo here's the photos of us getting in the car here's the photo of us arguing about what the easiest way to get there is and then they got to the photographs that they took at the hotel there was no photos like they get to like in the timeline of where it was in the film and there was nothing there 
And at this point, they go, okay, we know we took photos of the window shutters and of the room because it was so weird. And it was quirky. And I know Jason keeps using that word, but it was so it was so fun. We wanted to show people about this hotel, but there's no photographs here. And then they they would go from their photographs of other places, and it would just jump to further in the journey, and then photos of Spain and stuff like that. But they had no photos, and they knew they took photos when they were at the hotel. Now they're starting to wonder what actually happened, because you have four witnesses to an event where they found this hotel. No one knows where it's at. There's no photographic evidence of the hotel. Through their research, they find out that that uniform, those two police officers who walked in, the uniform they wore was an old-timey French uniform, which is what they assumed that they thought it was a costume. That uniform hadn't been worn since the year 1905. And it doesn't even place the story in 1905. They're saying that was the last time they wore them. Remember, there were no phones or elevators or anything like that. So it could have been any time, 1905. I mean, not caveman times, right? There's a saber-toothed tiger in the room. It's ah, Probably within, you know, maybe 1800s to early 1900s. That would be the time period this would be happening in. And this story was reported, and at the time, apparently, it became very popular in the world of the paranormal. People were really, really intrigued by this story. Time slip stories are really, really cool. And Jeff underwent hypnosis, because people were like, is there anything else you can remember about the place? Is there anything else we know? He underwent hypnosis, and when he was in his hypnotic state, he did not reveal any more information. But he didn't reveal any less information. You're like, well, well, duh, his memory, right? But no, if he was faking it, you figured maybe the story would change or something would get left out. But no, it was the exact same story under hypnosis. And they, the four of them believed, fully believed that they must have gone back in time somehow. And this story was brought to us. Marcus Loth wrote the article that I got most of the information from. He got it from a Jenny Randall's book. Jenny Randall's is a huge paranormal researcher. She's been in the game for a long time. She's written a ton of books on it. So that, again, is another authoritative source for this story. And yeah, at a time, this was a very popular paranormal story. What's so interesting about this story? Other than the fact that four people went back in time. Because time slips are great. I love covering them. The idea that at any point you could be traveling from point A to point B and end up in point 8974 is fascinating to me. Time slips, portals, all that stuff. It's scary but cool at the same time. But this story really raises a lot of interesting questions about what happens during this phenomenon. The four people, the four travelers from our time, realized things were off. Realized the police officers were wearing old-timey clothes, there were no phones, there were no elevators, there was no windows or locks, but nobody commented on their clothing. You have to imagine they had watches, they had sunglasses, and they had La Tigra shirts and slacks, and no one was like, oh, what is that stranger doing with those odd clothes on? That's why the police showed up, to have them burned to the stake. None of the people in the past commented on their clothing or the technology they had on them, and... They paid their bill, their 19 francs bill, with modern money. They, they didn't have the euro back then, so they would have had to exchange it for francs of the 1970s. And they paid with money from the 1970s, and 
it was accepted. Now, you may say the bellhop or the intaker, whoever is in charge of taking the money, maybe, maybe they weren't that observant. You would know if money was 200 years in the future. You would know if someone, if someone went back in time from now to the 1980s and tried passing off money, you'd get arrested as a counterfeiter. It's so different. Like, you would have to be blind to not realize money had changed in 20 years, let alone in 200 years. So when they were presented with modern currency, why wasn't it rejected? Pulled out of a modern wallet by a guy wearing a modern watch. Now, a skeptic could say, a skeptic wouldn't believe any of this story, but a skeptic could say, well, maybe when they exchange their money, they just happened to get money from the 1800s. And maybe they all had classic watches. Maybe they had classic Swiss watches. So maybe that happened. Maybe you couldn't tell. Maybe they were wearing pantaloons and they had big hats with feathers in them. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> Maybe they all just possibly happen to dress up as Renaissance cosplayers. But I think I think that aside, this show, this is fascinating to me. It may be... Because a lot of people say, how come if time travel is real, we, sh we should see time travelers. Maybe we can't. Maybe our reality, our reality is so hard-coded into us that if someone slipped from 400 years in the future or came back with a machine, came back in a time machine, we physically couldn't tell the difference. We would see them. Like, think about all those experiments they have where it's like observation, like you have people playing basketball and then there's an elephant walks by or a bear walks by. I'll put it in the show notes. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, but our ability to see absurd things is sometimes, a lot of times, hard to really comprehend if we're doing something else say working you're running a business so it could be that our reality our time period is so hard coded into the way we observe things we couldn't see someone from the future just like they couldn't this is absolutely fascinating we have so many stories of time slips where people don't really interact with each other they just find themselves in a weird location they start to see weird things around them. I'll try to put a couple episodes about time slips in the show notes, but this is one where not only... This is an overnight time slip. They spent the night here. They ate two meals. They paid their bill. And a car! They drove a car. Totally forgot about that. They drove a car down a cobblestone street, parked it outside a hotel in the 1800s, got a room, and no one goes, what in the... What is that outside? It may be when they looked, when the natives to that time period looked, it was a horse and buggy. Who knows? I mean, I don't even I know that sounds outlandish. They're like, what? The horse is just perfectly still. And then when they get in the car and they turn it on, the horse goes. But I mean, like, what does any of this mean? If this story is real, it says that when people come from different time periods, you will not be able to know. Someone could come from the future either accidentally through a time portal or on purpose with a time machine, and our reality may be so hard-coded into us that we can't tell. It is the person who visits the new time period who is aware of all the differences, but if you are in the time period and a time traveler is walking down the street in a high-tech silvery suit and a bubble helmet, you just see a guy walking down the street in blue jeans and a sweater. 
in a bubble helmet. He's at a rave. He's dancing. He's like, I came all the way back in time just to party to these awesome tunes. This is groundbreaking. If this story is true, it really shows that time manipulation manipulates reality as well. It manipulates observation as well. You cannot detect a time traveler because you can't detect a time traveler. Absolutely fascinating story. I love this one. Spending the night <laughs> spending the night in another reality has given us the closest look of what happens in a time slip. And the answer is so bizarre. It doesn't really answer anything. It just makes you go, what in the world? Like, that guy obviously got new-timey money. At a certain point, did he go, ah, it's been a week since I got that money. Time to balance the books. And then does he realize it's new? Or does he continue to pass it on? Does it go through the local economy there and eventually, because it's paper money, it eventually gets frayed and torn and then just disappears? So by the time 1979 comes around, there's not any copy of it left. But that money from 1979 did come back and everyone in that time period saw it as contemporary money. Fascinating, bizarre story. Absolutely weird. Church going mule, let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the carpenter copter. We're going to leave behind this old... You guys are pulling me away as I'm eating all the pancakes. I'm like, only... cut. These are the cheapest pancakes ever and the most delicious. You're dragging me away, throwing me in the carpenter copter. We're leaving behind this old-timey hotel in in the distant past of France, we are headed all the way up to Stockholm, Sweden. Now I should have, before we took off, but now you guys have to jump out with parachutes. If you guys don't want to listen to this next story, it is pretty grisly. Um, I will see you next week. Here's your parachute. I'll see you next week. But if you do want to stick around, this is, again, it's a really fascinating story, as grisly as it is. Absolutely insane story. We're headed back to the year 1740 and we're going to Stockholm, Sweden. There's a young woman named... This is one people who are like, nope, I'm out. They'll recognize this name right off the bat. There's this young woman named Christina Johan's daughter. Oh, I didn't think about that. It's probably actually Johan's daughter. Christina Johan's daughter was a young woman in love. She's in love with her fiancé... And she plans to spend the rest of her life with him. But he dies. And with him dies her will to live. She wants to join him in the afterlife. Around the same time, her friend is happily married. Her friend has everything that Christina ever wanted. A loving husband. An infant. A future. And Christina just wants to leave it all behind. The problem is, is that Christina, she knows what she wants to do. She wants to kill herself. Well, she, to be fair, she wants to die. But outside of like joining a war or doing something stupid, right? Like going up and like <laughs> tickling a horse, surprising a wild animal. There's no guarantee of that stuff. You might just get horribly mauled, kicked in the face by a mule that you're poking with a stick. There's no guarantee you're going to die. So she wants to die. But the problem is, is that she is a member of Catholicism. She's a Catholic and it is against Catholicism to commit suicide. So she can't do that. It doesn't specify if you kick a horse in the balls 
And then the horse just happens to trample you to death if that's suicide. But again, she's not willing to test that theory. Back in 1740, if a Catholic killed themselves, it was considered a mortal sin, which could lead you to damnation. Now, there's a caveat that if you commit a mortal sin and you then repent afterwards, it's possible that you will be able to go to heaven. But you can't, if you kill yourself, you won't have, you won't be able to repent. You're dead. So suicide was considered a mortal sin. And if you killed yourself, you would not be able to go into the gates of heaven. They also weren't allowed to have a Catholic funeral or be buried in a Catholic graveyard. So Christina is going through this torment and she wants to be with her lover. She wants to be on the other side. She can't kill herself because then she won't be with her lover on the other side. So what to do? What to do? One day, Christina is the witness of a public execution. A woman... A woman is taken to the middle of the square. I don't know, maybe they did this down some dark alley, but apparently there's a bunch of witnesses. This woman was dragged out by the executioner and her head was chopped off and her body was burned at the stake. Christina turns to one of the people in the crowd and goes, oh, what was her crime? Why is her head getting chopped off? And the guy goes, I, yes, young lass, you would like to know why this woman's head is all rolling, it's all rolling on the ground right in front of him and winks at him. Dink. Oh, yes, you want, I got to make, I got to have the laughs while I can because the story is going to get awful in like 30 seconds. Oh, yes, you want to know how we last got her head chopped off? Oh, that horrible woman. She killed a baby. Christina goes, killed a baby, huh? Christina went to her friend's house and said, a friend of mine is visiting from the country. She would love to see your baby. Can I borrow her? The friend goes, yeah, of course. Here you go. Take my baby. It's weird now because I don't know who borrows babies, right? But I guess when someone was coming from the country, maybe she didn't want to travel the extra couple of yards to visit the friend. She just wanted to go to Christina's house. I'm quibbling on details. I'm buying myself time for where we're going. Christina takes her friend's baby, walks out into the front yard of her friend's house, picks up an axe, and chops the baby's head off. She is arrested, she confesses, she repents, she is brought before the public square, decapitated, and her body is burned at the stake, but her soul has gone to heaven. And Christina knew that the baby's soul would go to heaven too. So, no harm, no foul. This baby is at peace in the afterlife, sitting next to Jesus. I am with my lover. Everything worked out. Now, here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so interesting about this. If this was a one-off crime, I didn't want to talk about this just because it was a one-off crime. Right? This wasn't a one-off crime. Remember, Christina saw a woman being executed for killing a child. Christina was not the first, nor would she be the last, woman 
who killed a baby. This was actually a very common way to kill yourself back then. Because you did not want to commit suicide, you killed a baby. The reason why they chose a baby was really two reasons. One, because the baby was devoid of sin, so you knew the baby would go to heaven. If you just killed some random person walking down the street, maybe you killed them before they could have repented or turned to Christ or something like that, and you've actually damned them to hell. Also, the murder of an adult, sometimes you just got life in prison. But the murder of a child always ended in the death penalty. Always. If you kill a child, you were killed yourself. And remember, that's what people wanted to do. They wanted to commit suicide without committing a mortal sin. Now, technically, murder is a mortal sin, but then you'd have time to repent. Very, very common way for people to kill themselves back in this time period in Sweden. It's absolutely insane. In 18th century Sweden, the number two, this was the number two most common reason for killing a kid. Number one, unmarried women not wanting to keep their babies. That was the number one reason why women would kill their children. I didn't want to have this kid in the first place. I can't feed it, so I'm going to kill it. That unfortunately happens today, right? Casey Anthony, for example. Technically she, technically, she was found innocent, but you have that happen today. But that was the number one reason back then. Unmarried women not wanting their baby. Number two reason why babies were being killed. To commit suicide. And people started to... Because the news would get out, right? When someone killed a baby and it was because they wanted to kill themselves, the family and the community would feel such sorrow for the... It's pri primarily women, it seems, were doing this. But they would feel... But I think some men did it as well. They would feel so much sorrow for the woman. Oh, she was so despondent. She was in such grief. The only out she saw was murdering a child. So a ceremony began to coalesce around these executions. People started to see these executions as very somber events as opposed to, you know, just two guys getting a fight and one guy gets murdered and that guy's being taken to the gallows or killed. Ah, kill him! Kill him! Yeah, get rid of him! This one, when these women were killing themselves by killing babies, a very somber event, people would start to have these costumes they would wear. Like the family would show up and they would be wearing these costumes that there'd be this procession, there'd be like this ceremony as this young woman is being executed. And the government is getting very, very upset about this. This is supposed to be a deterrent. We're supposed to show... That's why we're making it so bloody. That's why we're burning the corpse. We're not giving it a Christian burial. This is supposed to prevent people from wanting to do this. But now we got this whole rigmarole around it. And we see these people actually venerating the women who are killing these children. So the government started adding a little bit of torture to it. They're like, maybe this will prevent... Maybe this will prevent desperate people from finding any way out of Earth. They added... Uh, whipping. <laughs> like, oh, you've been a naughty girl. We're going to whip you. They'd whip her with the whip. And I keep saying her because I, I do think that's predominantly that. But there were men who were doing that as well. They'd whip them. I'm not, I'm not trying to be sexist when it comes to murdering children. It's so horrible. So they'd whip you. And you'd have to spend two days on the scaffold. And 
when they executed you, they blindfolded you. Now, that doesn't sound like the worst deterrent in the world. Right? No one wants to get whipped, right? But you're like, oh no, two days on the scaffold. I want to die. I'm glad that you're killing me. And so that was the problem. For a while, this was not... A, remember, this was the number two reason for murdering a child in Sweden. King Gustav Third of Sweden was watching this whole thing, and he goes, we got to do something. This is a societal ill. But people go, what do you do? Like, they're just going to keep doing this. People are going to keep doing this. And what King Gustav says, you know what? Let's just change the law. What if, if you killed a child, you didn't get sentenced to death? What if, if you killed a child, you were sentenced to life in prison instead? But they didn't do that, right? They, that would be... Because there were other reasons why people were killing kids. And you didn't want to have these people walking around, even if they were in prison. And they, they ended up just leaving it as, if you killed a child, you got the death penalty. It's just an interesting story. As grisly as it is, it's so fascinating because we have that collision of a religious doctrine, which has changed now. Now, uh, suicide is still looked down upon in the Catholic Church, but that's not doing anyone any favors. When someone who has a mental health struggle and they kill themselves, and then you tell the family members, oh, dude, yeah, sorry, that, that dude's in hell. Sorry. Like, now they've worked through that. Now the Catholic Church has changed that belief. But I, I think there still are a lot of Catholics who do believe that when you kill yourself, you go to hell. Or at least you're in purgatory for thousands, if not millions of years and things like that. So, just fascinating story. I know it's super dark. And I know it's probably not the best way to wrap up the week, but it's been on my mind. It's, it's just this amazing collision of true crime and religion, which we don't see that often. I mean, we see cults. And things like this, but that's not what this was. This wasn't some death cult. This wasn't a Jim Jones Waco situation. This was an entire society of young women killing children, and sometimes not even their own children. I I don't even know how many were actually their own children. I think they were just grabbing random kids and killing them. Just so they could have an escape clause off planet Earth. But don't worry, the babies went to heaven as well. Terrifying terrifying story. You want to end your suffering, but you do nothing but bring unending suffering to the survivors, to the mothers of those children. Just a dark reminder of what a depraved and depressed human can do, what they're capable of. They're capable of the most atrocious crime possible, hurting a child. But in Christina's mind, she didn't hurt anyone. She spared that baby. That baby went right to heaven. That baby would never fall in love and have her heart broken. No. Christina was saving that baby as well as saving herself. At least that's what she was hoping for when she felt that executioner's axe lop off her head. deadrabbitradio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok, 
is at Dead Rabbit Radio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great weekend, guys.